0: Chapter twenty three of Curly Carson listens in by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter twenty three. The Miracle. They were all straining their eyes when at last the thing appeared once more on the crest of a wave. Wreckage! A mess of it! came from the skipper. And, and there's a hand! exclaimed Curly. The paddles, boys, the paddles! Every end of you, up and at it! shouted the skipper. The wildest excitement prevailed, yet out of it all there came quick and concerted action. Three paddles flashed as, straining every muscle, they strove to bring the clumsy raft nearer the wreck. With tears in her eyes, the girl begged and implored them to unwrap her and allow her to have a hand in the struggle. A minute passed. No longer chilled, but steaming from violent exertion, they strained eager eyes to catch another glimpse of the wreck. "'There! There it is!' exclaimed the girl, overcome with joy. "'You're gaining! You're gaining!' Five minutes passed. They gained half the distance. Eight minutes more. The hand on the wreckage rose again. They were getting nearer. Suddenly the girl uttered a piercing cry of joy it's vincent it is it is and she was right a moment later as they dragged the all but senseless form from the seaplane they recognized him at once as the millionaire's son he had drifted in the benumbing water so long that had they been delayed for another hour they would have found nothing more than a corpse awaiting them as curly tore vincent's sodden outer garments from him He saw the girl carefully unrolling the blankets and oiled covering from about her. He did not protest. To him, the thought of seeing this girl half drowned and chilled through by the spray, which even now at times dashed over the raft, was heartbreaking. But he knew it was necessary if the life of her brother was to be saved. "'Brave girl!' he murmured as he wrapped Vincent in the coverings and passed him on to the skipper. "'And now,' he said— the time has come to think of other things. I believe the waves have sufficiently subsided to enable us to dare it. He fumbled once more at the raft, at last to bring up a long, post-shaped affair. More rations, murmured Joe, swallowing his last bite of hardtack. A regular commissary! But why get them out at this time? You wait, smiled Curly. He was standing up. After telling Joe to steady him, He began tearing away at the upper end of the mysterious package. In a moment, he took out some limp rubber affairs. Toy balloons, jeered Joe. Something like that, Curly smiled. He next brought out a small brass retort and a tiny spirit lamp. Lucky our matches are dry, he murmured, after unwrapping some oiled cloth and lighting the spirit lamp with one of the matches enclosed. After firmly tying the end of a toy balloon over the mouth of the retort, he held the spirit lamp beneath the bowl of the retort. At once the balloon began to expand. "'Chemical's already in the retort,' he explained. When the balloon was sufficiently inflated, he quickly tied it at the mouth, then began inflating another. "'The gas is very buoyant,' he explained. "'Hold that,' he said as he passed the string to the engineer. "'There's enough.' he said quietly when the third had been filled. He next drew forth some shiny, fine copper wire coiled about some round, insulated bars. When he had fastened the balloons to one end of the bars, he attached a strong cord to the balloons, then allowed them to rise, at the same time paying out the strands of copper wire. "'Not very heavy wire for an aerial,' he remarked. "'But heavy enough,' We'll have a perpendicular aerial, which is better than horizontal, and it'll hang pretty high. All that's in our favor. When the balloons had risen to a height which allowed the aerial, to which was attached a heavier insulated wire, to float free, he gave the cord to the engineer and began busying himself at putting together what appeared to be a small windmill with curved brass fans. A windmill, he explained, is the surest method of obtaining a little power always a little breeze floating around enough to turn a wheel this one is connected direct with a small generator gives power enough for a radiophone might use batteries but they might go dead on you windmill and generator is as good after ten years as ten days there you are he heaved a sigh of relief as he struck the transmitter which he had taken from his apparently inexhaustible bag of tricks Unless I miss my guess, we have a perfectly good radiophone outfit of fair power. All the rest of it is stowed down there in the bottom. We should be heard distinctly at from a hundred to five hundred miles. In the future, he smiled, every lifeboat and raft will be equipped with one of these handy little radiophone outfits, which are really not very expensive. Then, with all eyes fixed upon him, He began to converse with the unseen and unknown, who, sailing somewhere on that vast sweep of water, were, they hoped, to become their rescuers. In perfectly natural tones he spoke of their catastrophe and their present predicament. He gave their approximate location and the names of their party. This, after an interval of two minutes, he repeated. Then suddenly his lips parted in a smile. The others watched him with strained attention. After a minute had elapsed, he said with apparent satisfaction, We'll await your arrival with unmixed pleasure. The steamship Torrance, he explained, in crossing the Atlantic was driven two hundred miles off her course. She is now only about seventy-five miles from us. Being a fast boat, she should reach us in three or four hours. And now, he said with a smile, "'Since we have no checkerboard on deck "'and are entirely deprived of musical instruments of any kind, "'perhaps you would like to hear me tell "'why I was sure the mysterious island "'which has caused us so much grief did not exist. "'By the way,' he said, turning to Vincent, "'do you chance to have the original of that old map with you?' "'The boy pointed to his aviator's sodden leather coat. "'Although he had gained much strength from the warm blankets,' He had found himself unable to speak of the tragedy which had befallen his companion on the stormy petrel. Now, as he saw Curly draw the water-soaked map from the pocket of his coat, a look of horror overspread his face, and he muttered hoarsely, "'Throw it into the sea! It brings nothing but bad luck!' "'No, no,' said Curly. "'We won't do that.' "'Then you must keep it,' the other boy exclaimed. "'I don't want ever to see it again.' "'Alfred made me a present of it just before we hopped off.' "'All right,' said Curly. "'But you are parting with a thing of some value.' "'Value!' exclaimed Vincent. Then he sat staring at Curly in silence as much as to say, "'You too must have been bitten by the gold bug.' But that Curly had not been bitten by that dangerous and poisonous insect will be proved, I think, by the pages which follow." End of chapter 23